0: And it's been good to be here with you folks this weekend, with you, dear believers. And uh, I was here a year and a half ago, and I didn't expect to be back at this time. And I can quite assure you, I don't expect to be back in a year and a half, so you won't be troubled or bothered by us any, by me anymore. And uh, yeah, we live north, a little bit north east of. Brother Rob, and I never expected to see Rob here this weekend, but it was good to, to see him. And I, if I might add something to what our brother said, I've appreciated that he has worked with his wife and family amongst the First Nation people in Canada. There are people in Canada, I can't speak for the United States, but in Canada they've been a, a people that have been largely overlooked by Canadian Christians, and yet the first native people is the fastest growing minority group in Canada. It's growing in leaps and bounds, and uh, we live actually north about at nine ten hours north of Edmonton almost at the northwest territories border and we live in a Mennonite community and we work amongst Mennonites in that community but a great deal of our time my wife and I spend going further north 15 to 20 hours uh, up past the arctic circle and going to villages and we don't live in those communities so we have a God has provided us with a, a winter trailer that we can uh live in, sleep in, eat in and invite people into as well as go into their homes. But it's great that we've had nine, ten people in a village and we'll go into a village and stay for a week and just visit door to door. And uh, I do bang on the door before I walk in because I just feel uncomfortable. But those people just walk in. So I bang on the door and they always yell, come on in. And so you're inside the home. And my, it's a great thing to be inside the home because if it is 40 or 50 below zero, you don't like standing outside and they don't like to stand on the inside talking through the doorway. But there is a great uh, open door to these people and like brother rob said they aren't great talkers some do but by and large they listen and you can you can present the gospel to them and they'll seem to be listening quite intently and uh, the great thing about it, where we are—I don't know about where Rob is—but we never, they have never heard of Jehovah Witnesses coming up there. They've never heard of the Mormons arriving on their doorstep. They don't know anything except the Roman Catholics, and they've got a great basis, really, because they—they—they've been taught that the Bible is the Word of God. They've been taught about heaven and hell. They believe in the in the God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They believe Jesus is the Savior, and Yes, they've got lots of other things mixed into it. However, they've got a tremendous foundation on which to build. And when you open up the Bible with them, they respect it and they believe it. And it's a wonderful group. And if anybody is looking for a work, there's many, 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 many villages from 75 people up to 1,500 people scattered all through the Northwest Territories and into the Arctic. And uh, yes, it's difficult. We go can only drive in to the uh, many of the areas that we go in the wintertime. You can only go in the winter in the winter time because there are ice roads, it's over Muskeg and if you tried going in the summertime you would just disappear. And so you can drive on the ice road and go in. The roads are horrendous. They there's no bridges, you just come along and they just kind of plow out an area over the, through the bush and the muskeg and you come down over a valley and very steep valley and across the ice on the river and try and get up the far side and if you don't have four-wheel drive with chains, you're going to be spending a lot of time in the valley. And so I'm thankful for that God has preserved us, although there's been times that we have got down into the valley and tried getting up and I'm pulling a trailer that weighs 13,000 pounds empty that we live and sleep in. And there's been times I haven't been able to get up, but the great thing is it's a one lane road. And so when a tractor trailer comes along hauling stuff in, he hooks a chain on you and pulls you up. So it, We're we're blessed that way. So I didn't come to speak about our work. I came really to present uh, some thoughts of trying to work in the gospel and bringing the gospel to people. And this morning, I'd like to speak about grace, not because I know so much about grace. In fact, I'm finding out how little I know about this subject. Fifty years ago, when God saved me, I had no idea none at all, that I needed grace from that day until this. Somehow I just thought by you're saved through faith by grace and how wonderful it is, and it is wonderful, but I can tell you, you just start to realize a little bit of a glimpse as the years go by that we need to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're going to work with people, and if you're going to work with unconverted people if you're going to work with people that are seeking the lord and usually the people we have found that are seeking the lord are troubled people and it's like in the in the bible in the in in the, in the gospels the ones that came to the lord for the most part or many of them were troubled people with all their problems and they came to the savior and a The ones that are coming to you and I as believers are troubled people, and it takes a great deal of grace to work with them. And I confess I'm struggling with it and still working on it, and I. Believe the only hope is the more we get to know of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's the only way we will grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a tremendous, tremendous need there is. And here we have been working with a family for some, oh, some long time and it's been a great lesson to us because we've helped them we've moved them had them for supper and there's i don't know problems on top of problems inside the family and you have them come over you know something they have not once expressed thanks like rob mentioned about that boy having supper they eat Four kids, the moment they're done eating, they jump up and they run away and go down and play with the toys that my wife collects up and keeps in the basement and are downstairs for the children to play with, and that's great. And the mother and the father never say thanks. I went over and helped them move and worked and even paid a couple of bills because they were so far in debt and the hydro was going to get turned off, and I felt sorry for them. And believe me, you got to use care and all of that I think but anyway you helped them. they never even said thanks and I can tell you my wife and I said let's let, forget it I'm out of here and that's what I was saying my wife said well you know something the Lord treated you that way I mean where would you be have you always been thankful do you know every blessing the Lord's given you oh, come on okay so I, I I went back and we've been helping them on but But I've been learning from them, and it's been a great lesson to us, and it still bugs me. And I I think of how the Lord Jesus ministered to the people, and he cared for the people, and he showed kindness and grace to the people, and the people took advantage of him right, left, and center, but he never stopped showing grace. And if you and I are going to win people to our Savior, we are going to have to show grace and kindness and care and compassion and love and forgiveness and a spirit of tenderness towards them. But it should be towards every one of us as believers as well. Here you and I are, as sinners saved by the grace of God, we are literally drowning in grace. It's showered upon us. We're swimming in it. It's all over the place. God gives it to us and He pours it upon us and He bestows it on us and we receive it. Time and time and time again. 99.9999% of the time, we don't even know it's being dumped on us. You would think with all the grace that we have been given, that when I come in touch with you, it would be oozing out of me and it would be getting all over you But what's wrong with us as Christians? I'm I'm not talking about you here. I don't know. You might be totally different than Christians I know. But I stood at a Bible conference just a few little while ago talking to a brother that I know very, very well. And he's 87, 88 years old. I know him so well because I lived with him two and a half years before I was married. I boarded with that family. A man that was kind, and I learned a lot of kindness and tenderness. And all the time in that home, I never saw or heard them ever speak against another believer. They always were kind, and I learned a lot from them. And at the conference, along came another brother. Both a brother in the flesh and a brother in the Lord to the brother I'm standing with. I reached out my hand and shook hands with him. And he came to his own brother his brother reached out his hands. And that brother just stuck his hand in his pocket and walked right by. And I thought, what a tragedy. Grace has been bestowed upon us. And is it possible that we know so little about bestowing a little bit about grace upon others? What are we? Like a bunch of spiritual sponges? We get, when God saved us, I can say every last one of us, we had everything's pride and, and all of self was mostly squeezed out of us. And that sponge was pretty dry. And then it just soaked in grace. But you know, as Christians, sometimes we got to be squeezed pretty hard to get any of that grace back out. And we're just like spiritual sponges. We've got it all in us. And maybe I should just be speaking about myself. Because, my, you can have it, and you're so slow to pass it on and to give it out. And so that's enough preliminaries. Could I, could we read in 2nd Peter please? <clears throat> the last chapter of 2nd Peter and the last verse. <clears throat> chapter 3 of 2nd Peter, verse 18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ then to second corinthians chapter 6 i'm sorry chapter 5 and verse 21 the last verse of chapter 5 and the verse first verse of chapter 6 <clears throat> and it's speaking of the lord of our lord jesus in second corinthians 5 and verse 21 for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Not to receive the grace of God in vain. Then if we could go to Matthew chapter 18 for the, for the last reading. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 21. In Matthew 18, verse 21, it says Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. Denari, or a hundred pence is what the King James uses and seizing him he began to choke him saying pay what you owe so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him he did the same as as the other man had done to the king so his fellow servant fell down and he pleaded with him have patience with me and I will pay you he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And uh, we won't read the last part of the there, but his fellow servants saw what had taken place and they were very distressed. I think you and I as believers, I think we all have some little understanding. The day that we were saved, we at least we got a little bit of a grasp of the fact that It was God's undeserved mercy and kindness and favor that was showered upon us that ever brought us to Christ. It was nothing but the grace of God. Mercy, kindness, love and compassion that was so poured out upon us And every last one of us, saved by the grace of God, are recipients of his mercy and and of his kindness and of his grace. But as I mentioned, the day that God saved me, I had no idea. I was saved on a Saturday night lying in my bed in Murphy Road in Sarnia, Ontario. And some few years ago, I was near that place a number of years ago. And our, I was with my son, and he was young. And I said to him, Jeffrey, uh, what do you think? Would like to go in that house where grandpa and grandma used to live and where I was raised? And uh, he said, yeah. So I went up, knocked on the door, and talked to the lady that came to the door. And I said, you know, uh, my dad built this house. In fact, I was just a boy when, when we worked on this house, and uh, I... Uh, I'm here with my son, and he wanted to see where Grandma and Grandpa and us used to live. Could could we, could I just show him through the house? She said, "Sure, come on in." So we went in the house and. Showed him the kitchen and the little living room and the family room. It wasn't that little. We had 11 kids in our family. And it was a fair-sized house. And uh, went upstairs, split-level house. Went upstairs, a couple of bedrooms. Showed him where Grandma and Grandpa used to sleep. And come downstairs, and the lady just kind of followed us along. I even showed him the furnace room. And I showed him the room where all his sister, my sisters, used to sleep. And another room where some of the others slept. And then I took him in this other room. I said, Uncle Philip, he used to sleep here. And Uncle Paul, it's where he slept. And me, I slept here underneath the window. And we had three little beds in that room. And I said, Jeffrey, it was lying in this bed here in October or September. Don't remember the exact date, 1958. Right here, looking out through that window, through the just, getting dark outside out past the sassafras trees are outside and I could see the moon and the stars outside and lying here in that bed that night I realized why Jesus died he died for my sins I confess I cried that day I was thankful and the lady stood in the doorway I don't know if she thought we were crazy or what and uh, tried to tell the lady of God's grace and that I had found Jesus Christ in that spot. At least I think the lady, as long as they lived there, would always remember that this guy came in and said he found Jesus in that spot there. And uh, I don't know whether she understood it or figured it out or whatever, I, uh, but it's great. Grace was great. But I did not realize that night how grace should impact my life. From that day. And I didn't realize that I would need God's grace. From that moment. Until this moment. I didn't have any idea. That I would continue sinning. Because that night I was so relieved. Sin is gone. What a relief. And some people they say they got out of bed. And, or they got down on their knees. And they thanked the Lord. Not, not me. I was so relieved. I just turned over and went to sleep. It was, it was so great. And uh, you know. After I'm. I, I'm. That night, I didn't realize that sin the next day or the days to come would be the biggest problem I faced because I thought my sin's all gone. All my problems are over, solved, delivered. And here, sin became constant problem. And I have come to realize more and more and more as the years have gone by that I need God's grace every single moment of my life and every single day of my life. And if I could only understand that grace is the very fabric of a Christian's life and we need to be growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and we need to be growing in that manner. I just read a survey taken. It was called an independent survey. I don't know what an independent survey is. I'm not sure, but it doesn't matter. He said he took a survey and he asked in restaurants in North America, what is the hardest group of people to serve in a restaurant? He asked waiters and waitresses. And he said in his survey that the hardest group that apparently all the waiters and waitresses agreed on was the after-church group. Isn't that a tragedy? Pathetic? Now, I don't know if all that after-church group is all Christians or not, but know what they said? They're impatient. They're pushy. They're demanding. They're not appreciative. And you know what? They're lousy tippers. Now, I don't know if they happen to leave most of their money at church or not. But I thought to myself, we are living in a world that is in desperate need of receiving a little bit of what we have. And yet here's a man that takes a survey of people that have just left church and apparently they are not showing very much of what we have a privilege of showing into the world. Grace. Kindness. Kindness compassion and we should be the most graceful people i stood in zeller's store a number of years ago in lethbridge alberta that's not far from where our brother rob lives and i know these folks here and rob you ever found out these folks here in in the united states when we were in school we had to learn all the states all the all the capitals of each state and all the presidents And the people in the United States, they never even heard that there was this country to the north. I think the Americans think that everything is theirs. But there is this country up in the north. And we were living in Lethbridge. I don't know how I got off on that. But in Lethbridge, I was in the Zeller store. And uh, lined up getting out of the Zeller store with something. And just ahead of us, there was myself and a lady with a little child and a man. And the man was very impatient. In fact very. And unfortunately for the girl and for the man, there was a no price on a thing. Well that man got angry. He got upset and she had to buzz and get somebody to come and bring a price and it oh boy, I felt sorry for that girl. It's at the checkout and he was berating her and angry and carrying on like a he was berserk. And it's embarrassing just standing in the line. Finally, they got the thing, and he gave them money and slammed out the door. And the lady in front of me, God bless her, I don't know any, I, I've wondered since if I was next in line. But that lady was next in line, and she went up to that girl that was doing the checkout, and she says, my dear, I said, take a look outside. The girl looked out. Look at that son. And she stood that day for maybe only 45 seconds, and she talked to that lady about the Lord and His kindness, His patience, His tenderness, and His compassion for just a short, brief time. And that lady gave her stuff to the lady. The lady checked it out. She was near tears. And then finally the mother's leaving, and she said, God bless you, and I'll pray for you. And then after she goes out, and the little girl that was with her waved by, and the lady waved by, and they went outside. And I thought, Grace, that is what that lady demonstrated that day. And what about you and I? Sometimes we can be so kind to the neighbor, and so kind to the people that we meet, and so kind to all those that we do business with, and so kind to those we work with, and in the home. What about in the home? Do we show grace to our wives? Do we grow? show grace to our children? And is grace exuding out of us day by day, all through the day? We need to be growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul dreaded receiving the grace of God in vain. What's it mean to receive the grace of God in vain? Well, I think it's at least suggesting its meaning that we would take and receive All the abundance of God's mercy and kindness and compassion showed upon us and not passing it to others. Because what are we in this world? We're really just a channel of grace for Christ to live his life through you and me in reflecting it into this world. We have no light in ourselves. We're like that old moon up there dead and cold and nothing dirt and my you look up there and sometimes it just glows and gleams and you get up in the north on a cold night when it's 50 below and that moon out there it's unbelievable she just it's just like daylight in the middle of a of a, a dark night and it i'm talking of when it's 22 23 hours of darkness and the moon is just sometimes just glowing and gleaming. And it's, it's so marvelous. That should be you and me as believers. Reflecting. What's it doing? It's reflecting the light of the sun. No, is that not what we are supposed to be doing? Reflecting the light of the sun into this dark, cold, miserable world. And we have a privilege to do that. Grace. That's what we need to be marked by. Can I just say what grace is not? Grace is not a blanket tolerance of sin. I heard about a man, and he left his wife and children and took off with some other woman. And, and uh, somebody said, uh, was a Christian? Maybe it was a mal- well-meaning Christian. And they said, well, you know, we can't judge, you know, because, uh, because uh, we're just a bunch of sinners too, you know. Look, at, Christians are not sinners. They're saints. And uh, furthermore, grace is not refusing to judge sin. I just want to make that very, very clear. What is grace? Grace is found 150 times. I was surprised, actually, when I started studying it. I thought grace would be found many, many, many more times in the New Testament. But the word is only found about 150 times. But I can tell you, grace is on every page. You see it in the life of our Lord and the life of some of the disciples. Not right at first, because Peter and James and John, who was it, went in that village and wanted to call down fire out of heaven consume the whole pack of them. Well, uh, you know, they didn't show much grace there at all. And the Lord, he worked on these people but i just want to read you some things that i've written down i can't put them all in my head to remember so i'm going to have to read them to you but grace is make god look at us in love and grace is a gift of kindness to one who does not deserve it and grace is costly somebody has to pay the price and grace does not need to be returned it's a one way thing And grace is the oil that stops friction in relationships. Grace focuses on solutions, not on the problem. And grace expects and hopes for the best in others. But it gives room to fail. And grace celebrates success, and it sure doesn't keep a score of of wrongs. And it, it looks at what a person can be. Not what they are right now, but what a person can be. And when God reaches in and saves in the world in which we live, and then people come down amongst us, and we are privileged to have them in our midst, don't be demanding. Don't be looking for great changes. Be thankful for what you see, and they'll have their struggles as if you don't and as if you've always been what you are today and as if you couldn't improve a whole lot and I'm using the word you I should use the word us if we couldn't all improve but i think Saul is a tremendous paul who was Saul is a tremendous example of grace cuz paul when he was Saul sure wasn't a nice man he was not nice at all in fact he was uh he was proud and uh he was a Pharisee, and he was a son of a Pharisee. And he even tells us he tried and was the best of all the Pharisees that he was amongst. And uh, he had absolutely no tolerance for anybody who didn't see things his way. It was my way or the highway. And if you didn't see his way, then uh, he put you in jail or worse. And that was Paul. But then Paul found grace. No, I think we should say grace found Paul or Saul. And he turned him into grace. And then you find that he talks about all that he was in his old life. He talks about his religious efforts, and he talks about his ambitions and his attainments, and he talks about you know what he says? It's just dung. Look the word up in the dictionary. It's not a very nice word. He had no. Time for it at all. And you know what Paul did not do? He didn't do like a whole lot of us have done. He got rid of his self-righteousness. Then we go out and we collect it all back together. We look around, we find it, and we stick it all back in our pockets, and we become a little self-righteous again after God saves us. But Paul didn't do that. In fact, he became passionate about love. And he wrote 1 Corinthians 13 and he was absolutely consumed with love and he was taken up with love and that was his thinking and his thought and his aim and it was all about love. Why is it our Lord Jesus Christ had no tolerance for sin? He had no tolerance for all the sin that went on in the world. Why was it that sinners were drawn to him? I've pondered that. Because it seems to me sinners are not always drawn to us like they were drawn to the Lord. Not always. Maybe never. Drawn to us like they were drawn to the Lord. Why were they so drawn to our Lord when they are not always drawn to us like they were drawn to Him? Because His righteousness was a righteousness that was clothed with grace, kindness, and compassion. And sometimes the righteousness that we have, when it is not clothed with grace and love and kindness, is seen by the world as self-righteousness. And at least that's my thinking about the whole thing. And our Lord Jesus Christ, righteousness and grace. The law came by Moses. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. He was clothed in righteousness. He was immersed in it. And people were drawn to Him. And people would be drawn to you and I. As we live righteous lives in this world, showing kindness and grace and care and compassion. And Paul dreaded that he would ever receive the grace of God in vain. How's that hymn go? Something about uh, channels only, channels of blessing. I forget how it goes. But that's what we are. A channel, a conduit. That the Lord is pouring grace into us. And we're not to be soaking it all up. We are to be shedding it abroad into this old world. May God move our hearts that we would be a people that would be sh- taking and sharing grace. Peter, he sure had a lot to learn. I love Peter because Peter is so much like me. And uh, he was a, uh, quite, a, quite a fella. I understand that in Mid-Eastern culture, that the culture of the day, and I've only read this, and I don't even know if it's true, but that a person was to forgive his neighbor three times. And so maybe when Peter is speaking there to the Lord... He is being quite generous. He said, Lord, should I forgive him seven times? And maybe somebody's been bothering Peter and troubling him and, and, if, and, he's, and he's trying to forgive him. Maybe he's already forgiven him three or four times and he thinks he's being pretty generous. I wonder, seems to me the ones that are always looking for forgiveness are the ones that need to, oftentimes are the ones that I have to be constantly working to forgive. But uh, I don't know if Peter was like that or not. But the Lord says, no, Peter, 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 it's not three times. It's not seven times. No, Peter, it's seven times 70. I think he just means an innumerable innumerable number. And uh, just keep right on forgiving, Peter, because that is what God has called us to, and the Lord is forgiving us. And then the Lord took and he told that story. And that story he's telling to Peter, and I think he's telling it to Peter so that, well, he's probably telling it to the rest of the disciples as well. He told the story about the king. And how the king wanted to square up with all his servants. And so they bring the servants in. And finally they come this servant in. And this servant owes, if you can believe it or not, well, the Lord said it, 10,000 talents. You know, that is a pile. Because you look in the back of your Bible and you find out that one talent equals 6,000 pennies or pence. Or denarii, as the revised versions might give it. So one talent, 6,000 pence or 6,000 denarii, 10,000 talents, 60 million pence. And the wages of a laborer was one penny a day or one denarii a day. And if you add up your lifetime of work, you work a lot of days if you live your long life and you work 30,000 days. That's a lot of work. And this man somehow owns the unbelievable figure of 60 million days labor to the king. Ha, he's, he's finished. What hope is there for him? Nothing. Like this is beyond comprehension. Isn't that a picture of you and I? We were so far in debt and this man is so far, this servant so far in debt to the king. What hope is there? None. And what's he do? He casts himself at the feet of the king and says, Look, have patience with me and I'll pay everything. How's Abraham going to pay everything? And the king knows he can't pay anything. And he, God knows that you and I can't pay what we owe. We owe a debt he, we could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. How's the little song go? It's a great little song. And know what the king did? He forgave him. That must have been the most beautiful music to that man's ear. Forgive him. 60 million days wages forgiven. What? He would go to the palace that day. There must have been, you think so, joy in his heart. He's got a new life. How is he going to live his new life? We, you and I, have been given a new life. How are we going to live our new life? And he goes out with this new life to live, and he meets his fellow man. Oh, he owes me a hundred denarii, a hundred pence, and he grabs him by the throat, pay me what you owe. Can you believe it? And the man does the very same that he had just finished doing. He says, he falls at his feet, I'll pay you everything. Just be patient with me. No patience, I'll throw you in jail. Lock you up until you pay everything you owe. Have we ever been guilty of that? Have I? I'm afraid there's been times. I'm afraid there's been times. What is the moral of the story? If I could just get across, the moral of the story is our behavior as Christians... Will demonstrate the extent to which we appreciate the grace that God has bestowed upon us. And I hope in some little way we will leave this place, all of us, especially me, and go back to work amongst the place where God has put us and to move amongst the people, and that we will be so marked and moved by grace. That we'll never forget it, that we will not be sponges, but that we will be constantly giving, 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 giving. And we might do like one home I walked into one time of a dear couple that God had saved when we had worked amongst some Dutch people, went into their home and she had it was a pretty messy house. She's not any better today as a housekeeper. But on the one wall, she had big scraps of paper all stuck, and she had wrote, wrote one word, others. And I'll tell you something, the house is a mess, and the bathroom's filthy, and the fridge, you open it up, and it's dirty. It's got mold in it. But I can tell you this, people love visiting in that home. And I would give their name, but this is on a tape and you never know where it might go. And so I can tell you this, they're a wonderful couple. And they have showed grace in the community, the little town of four or five hundred people where they live. And everybody knows them as the kind, tender, loving people that they are. Might you and I be marked by the same thing.